Broadcasting live from Thundercats, this is Pop Culture Reference, your one-stop reference for all things pop culture. I'm one of your hosts, Seamus Connolly. And I'm Garrett Strother. And today we just have a little bit of news, actually. We don't have too much up top here before we get into our main segment, something I am absolutely so excited to talk with you about. We really, for as much as we've like talked around this subject, we haven't really delved too far into the High Republic books that we're covering today. And I'm, I'm just incredibly excited to hear your specific thoughts. I'm excited to hear yours because, I mean, you just dove in on these. We talked a little bit about the mm-hmm. first book, Light of the Jedi, but this new wave of Star Wars is something that you and I haven't come together on yet. And it's definitely something I'm really excited to, to, to get further in on. But first, we've got a couple of these pieces of news, both video game news pieces, actually, starting with the very strange and sudden acquisition of Activision Blizzard by Microsoft, another in what seems like a string of pretty high-profile developer acquisitions by Microsoft. I'm getting flashes of Disney 15 years ago right now (laughs) with, with Microsoft. It's... They're looking at what are, like, sturdy developers that they can, like, milk the IPs from, it seems like to me, and are just buying them up like Infinity Stones. <laughs> and you can, you know, you look at the uh, opposite side of that, you see Sony buying up all of these lower-level indie-sized studios and kind of bolstering them up to be their new lineup of exclusives. Well, Microsoft over here is just like, like you said, sucking dry all the built-in fan base IP that they can out of something like Activision or Bethesda. Yeah, it's a, it's two very different approaches to game making. I think both have their pros and cons, of course, because in a way you're set like in terms of like the artistic integrity, I feel like mm-hmm. of video games, you're sacrificing less by Microsoft buying up Activision or whatever. It's not like Call of Duty's going to get it's going to Call of Duty's not selling out by by being owned by Microsoft. <laughs> but at the same time, obviously these huge corporate monopolies are really bad. I think similar to our concerns with something like the Disney Fox merger, this is going to result in a lot of layoffs because Activision is a huge company. Mm-hmm. And so that really sucks. And if you want to, like, if you were comparing and contrasting with Sony's ideology still, even though it might seem more limiting to these developers, these independent companies to be now saddled under the Sony umbrella, at the very least, it means I think that Sony is giving them more resources, more money to make more ambitious projects, more Mm -hmm. creative projects. Whereas all that Microsoft is really doing is making sure that these are Microsoft dollars that are, that are floating upward from these huge blockbuster games. Yeah. You, I, you're not wrong at all there. Do do you think something like call of duty could possibly go xbox exclusive i feel like it's such a huge brand i they've been very strategic as of late about going public saying things like the current generation of call of duty won't be pulled from playstation and that the currently active Warzone and all that wouldn't be pulled in any way and their contracts will be fulfilled with all of the Sony PlayStation stuff, but I specifically not saying anything about the future, maybe because they don't really know yet, but maybe because they're just playing from the shadows. It would be interesting to see if there would be more of a monopolization on something like the biggest 
corner of the, or I guess the biggest single corner of the first-person shooter market that is out there right now, still the most popular to this day. I don't think Call of Duty would go Xbox and PC exclusive. One, Xbox has Halo, and I think that they're comfortable with that being their first-person shooter. I don't know if the town is big enough for the two of them. Mm. I think if any, if they make Call of Duty Xbox exclusive, that's just cutting in on Halo's cut of the pie. And at the same time, I can see them maybe doing a Call of Duty spinoff that's exclusive to uh. Xbox. Or kind of like, you know how the Avengers game, you could only play the Spider-Man DLC if you had a PlayStation. Yeah, that's kind of how I was thinking about it too, where it would be like... I mean, what is the biggest moneymaker of Call of Duty? It's the microtransactions, the cosmetics, and I'm sure there would be plenty of Xbox-exclusive cosmetics and add-ons in that capacity where it wouldn't necessarily change too much of the core game, but maybe they get a free story pack or a free loot box here and there because they're uh, on Xbox Gold instead of PS Plus. Or you can buy a Banjo-Kazooie skin or whatever. Like, (laughs) uh, Honestly, that would be kind of awesome. (laughs) I would be into that. There's a Halo Zombies map now or something, you know. Oh, wow, God. But yeah, I I think that I'm not too concerned. Like, I'm not as concerned about this as I was when Bethesda got bought up or when... Indiana Jones was uh, said to be just for Microsoft stuff, so... Well, they haven't said that uh, yet. They actually haven't said about Indiana Jones. They've... Oh, have they not? Have they've we been just been assuming that? They've been suspiciously quiet about that. I just think mm. the entire world, including the two of us, is assuming it will be, because the logic that I think I already said to you today is, if Spider-Man is on PlayStation, Indiana Jones can be on only on Xbox. Yeah. Yeah, that's... That's fair. Yeah, I mean, this is bad for the video game industry. This is bad for, you know, the future of the corporate monopolies that own, you know, the entire entertainment landscape. I don't like it. I think it's bad news, but in terms of the actual impact it will have on the average consumer, I don't see much. To me, this feels like maybe an invitation for Sony to clap back, you know, like maybe that like we've been... I, at least for me, I think it's it's way better that Sony is kind of doing the the bottom up indie studio adoption. But you know how how much could Konami really cost? Why don't we get <laughs> Metal Gear and Silent Hill for PlayStation exclusive, or even like Capcom? You know, really corner the Resident Evil market and and cut that off from the Microsoft people. I I think there could be a battle of exclusives here that could go to the point where we're seeing things that we never thought we would because they're trying to outdo each other. But I guess I might I may be getting ahead of myself here. I'm just I'm waiting for like a bloody feud. I don't know if you are getting ahead of yourself to be honest. I think that that is definitely in the cards. I hope it isn't what happens because I mean you know me, Seamus. I didn't like owning my Xbox, but I'm not a proponent. <laughs> of any kind of console war i don't care of course of course like both things i I think console exclusivity is bad i think it's bad for the consumer it makes games worse i think i mean there are some things that i understand like you can specialize something for the ps5 and it's gonna run way better Mm -hmm. than if you tried to launch it on all platforms and it's not that i don't understand that there are development advantages to picking one company and staying to it but in general, I don't try to subscribe to, like, I am just a PlayStation guy just because I happen to prefer the way that PlayStation consoles are made and the fact that I like the games better on those consoles. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I'll probably buy an Xbox when Indiana Jones comes out, and I, you know, 
I'm not Whoa. I'm not going to feel hypocritical while doing it. And so I really do hope that this doesn't trigger the kind of bidding war arms race that you're that you're projecting, <laughs> even though I totally think that it's something that that could definitely happen. Well, I guess we just got to see what the next move for either of them is, but I'll I'll definitely be interested to see either way exclusivity or not how that pans out. Would we see, you think, a like uh, an exclusive World of Warcraft port to Xbox? That would be interesting and something that I would have such it's like abs- less than zero interest in. <laughs> I think a lot of people would go bonkers, but I think I would never even blink at something like that. Yeah, I think I think you and I are on the same page about that, but something uh, to consider. Yeah, yeah, totally. But in other video game news, a game that is our probably most immediately hotly anticipated video game of 2022, which is a weird thing for us to both be saying. <laughs> uh, I say as I speak for you. Oh, yeah, I was going to say, you, as you say it, and I agree with it. It's a very weird <laughs> sentiment regardless. <laughs> um, Lego Star Wars The Skywalker Saga, after literally years of delay, has an official release date of April 4th, 2022. A release date that is close enough that I imagine they will hold to it after being so nebulous for the last few months about when it's actually going to come out. This coincided with the release of a six-minute-long gameplay trailer that shows exactly how revolutionary for the LEGO games this gameplay is going to be. It looks like it's taken some of the newer gameplay elements from something like LEGO Star Wars The Force Awakens, like, and I think other LEGO games since then, Mm -hmm. like cover um, and over-the-shoulder shooting that like modes you can go into and amplifying that beyond anything we've ever seen in the Lego game. It looks much more like a standard third person adventure game with all of these crazy RPG elements and upgrades. Plus mumble mode is back. So I'm happy for that. Oh, did I miss, did I miss that part of the trailer? That's like the most important piece of information yet. Yeah. At the end of the trailer, you see them go into settings and click on mumble mode. And then Darth Vader says, I'm your father, but it isn't, you know, in I that is the only way I will play this game. Now that I know that, that's incredible. I you're not wrong that this almost look like if you could reskin it out of Lego form and keep the gameplay, it would be like a pretty advanced form of third person shooter. There's no it, it looks a lot less like the classic Lego games that I am more familiar with. I haven't kept up too much on the newer Lego games, but Honestly, th- this looks like so much fun watching the gameplay. It looks like they're it's going to be so huge. Like you said, there's RPG elements for leveling up characters, even though there's going to be the most insane amount of characters out of any game I've ever played. And Seamus, um, I'm assuming you're going to spring for the extra 10 bucks for that deluxe edition so you get all the character packs, too. I might as well, right? I mean, why not? I, I, I think I smell some platinum in our future. I think the revival of... <laughs> The pop culture replay channel Ooh. is going to be our uh, us streaming this insanely long game, a hundred episodes minimum. I would love, I would love to do that. I wonder if there's online co-op, or if you and I are going to have to come and sit on my couch together. And I play. mean, I for some reason was already thinking online, but couch co-op is the absolute goat. I think that every game should have it, regardless of what the game is. And I would love to come sit on your futon couch and play it with you. I, I'm excited about this one. I really, really am. And, and April 4th, pretty close. Yeah. I know they've been delaying it forever, but this is like a very sudden kind 
end of release date now, and I, I I was almost expecting it to be closer to the holidays even again, like really delaying it. But I'm I'm very happy. And before yeah, before May the fourth too. Yeah, that's you, you can you can pick it up, celebrate, do your thing. Like well, you like you said, we're gonna get all those character packs. Yeah, I, I'm excited about that. Although I do think the character packs are gonna feel a little outdated now. Because I remember when they announced the character packs, most of the stuff that they were announcing, like Mandalorian Season 2, The Bad Batch, all of these things that we oh, didn't know yeah. about yet. <laughs> and now it's like, okay, yeah, that's old news. Oh, like, that's oh, funny. great, Mandalorian Season 2. That... Old news, old news. Can you imagine the Lego High Republic? Ooh. What about that? I'd play the hell out of that. I I would too. I, I'm really hoping, this is something that we should talk about on the main segment, but it is relevant <laughs> right now. I'm really hoping they do some kind of High Republic Lego set. Even if even oh, if it's wow, like the Battlefront 2 battle pack that was just Inferno Squad. <laughs> yeah, yeah. If Hell they could, yeah, dude, I would be super into that. Because it'd be, uh, I don't need like a huge set or anything, but just like get some of those Jedi in their gold robes. Maybe like a, a micro build of Starlight Beacon. Oh, that'd be so cool. Or a vector micro fighter. A, I was gonna say a vector or um, a Nile fighter. That's, yeah, that would be a little more elaborate, but I think that would look so kick ass. Especially, all right, th- again, main segment stuff. But how they're described, it would be very interesting to see in a, in a kit like that. Also, don't forget they have all of those sets that you can enter the code from the set oh, into to right. play in the game. I mean, and that's so. Those sets have been out for so long now, too. That'll be interesting oh, to see. I'm assuming that it'll just be, like, I'll be able to look up online and type in Mando or whatever to my game. I don't have to actually buy the (laughs) Razorcrest. Even though I would love to. Oh, sure. Yeah. But I also don't have $120 uh, to drop on Lego right now, unfortunately. Not until this deluxe edition of this game comes out. Yeah, it's only 70 Don't worry. All right, okay, okay. I will be buying the physical edition as to get the Lego Luke with blue milk. Minifig? Is yeah, that what comes with it? That's awesome. That's very cool. Is it yellow skin classic Luke? No, or it's, is it... it's new. It's like the new Minifigs look. But he's got... You remember in the holiday... Because this was supposed oh, to come yeah, out right after the right. Lego Stars holiday special. There's um, the whole he... bit with the blue milk mustache. And it was supposed to be like synergy there because then you could <laughs> buy the fig. Uh, exclusively in the deluxe edition where he has the blue milk mustache but unfortunately uh it's a year too late it was vertical integration but now it's horizontal integration and it's just not gonna work out like that that is not what either of those things (laughs) but i'm glad you remember your 30 rock buzzwords (laughs) yeah business words you get it (laughs) but we should talk about more star wars in our main segment i think seamus I think we should do it. Today's main segment is the first two adult novels in the Star Wars The High Republic series, Light of the Jedi by Charles Soule and The Rising Storm by Kevin Scott. Seamus, uh, you just got into The High Republic really recently. These are the only two High Republic things that you've even dipped your toe into I'm really excited. Give me all of your spoiler-free general Star Wars glory thoughts. I am loving what I'm reading in these these first two books. I'm super excited to get into... The, I, I have one of the um, side novels, Into the Dark, and you loaned me one of the comic book collections, too, that like coincides with all of these. I'm loving all of this cool imagery, the... 
the way that these are written to describe the Jedi and the Jedi Order in a way that I guess I've always kind of imagined them anyway, but finally verbal like put onto paper officially this is like the i mean it's it's it is what it describes it, when you look up these books it's such a golden incredibly interesting advanced era for what the jedi are and not only is it just exactly how i kind of pictured it anyway the juxtaposition with what we know the jedi are from the prequels and from the you know, the original trilogy and the legends of what they were from 1973 onward of just like kind of a very mystic, once incredibly prolific and powerful force. It's done in such a way that it's exactly what it needs to be. And I'm insanely excited to read that third book that I know you just got. And I think this is exactly what Star Wars needed, I think. I'm, I'm excited for this era to bleed out into live action, into video games eventually, into, you know, more books. Thank God, I know we're getting another trilogy coming later this year of books and, uh, of, of course, more periphery stuff. I'm just, I'm very happy with what I've experienced so far, and that's coming off of the sequel era of Star Wars, which I wasn't a huge fan of, so I'm glad that I'm finally getting the satisfying... Star Wars itch scratched that I've been looking for. Yeah, for for those listeners not in the know, just so everybody's on the same page, the High Republic initiative is set during the golden age of the Star Wars Galactic Republic, about 150 years before the prequel era. And Seamus, I definitely want to echo your sentiment about I love the way the Jedi are portrayed in mm. this in these books, in this world, in the comics too about how they really are the knights that they were promised by Obi-Wan Kenobi in that original Star Wars Episode mm. Four. that there is something so pure about the way the Force is written in these. I think the way, specifically, Charles Soule writes about the song of the Force oh, in The Light of the Jedi it is pure Star Wars to me. It captures exactly the right feeling and the right tone without being reliant on any characters that I know. The only character who we really have ever met before in this series is Yoda, and he's mentioned, I think, a grand total of like four times in these first two books. <laughs> yeah. Seamus, I have read more than you, of course. I read one of the middle grade novels, uh, A Test of Courage, which is uh, kind of a side story to the first book, Light of the Jedi. I've read the first volume of the comics that I have loaned to you. I tried to get into the High Republic Adventures comic run, and it, it just doesn't work for me. And then I have started, but have not yet finished Fallen Star, the concluding chapter of this first trilogy of adult novels. That's by Claudia Gray, and I... I'm about 100 pages in, and I just need to find more time to read it because I'm super jazzed about what's happened in the story so far. But I'm encouraging you to read some of the things that I didn't read because I think they'll pay off better in this book if you kind of get in and read them. You have the unprecedented opportunity, at least unprecedented to me, to read these in the order which they're intended to be consumed in. Um, <laughs> that might help me with the, a lot of the references they're dropping. Because I think one of my only complaints... I love how comprehensive and how well thought out and expansive and diverse this new initiative is of Star Wars storytelling. My only complaint is there is so much stuff coming out so fast mm -hmm. that I feel like... You know, any person 
with a reasonable adult schedule does not have time to consume it all, assuming that you consume things that aren't Star Wars media, you know? <laughs> I, I definitely agree with that. It, it is a little intimidating, but I appreciate that there is at least a little bit of downtime to catch up on everything that we're kind of missing out on before the next phase starts. It, it is definitely a lot, I'll say that. The density of these books, well very rich to read it's just like a lot of it's a lot of text to get through they're they're not small books and i do think overall that these adult novels and we're talking specifically about the first two but i do think that it continues into the third one the a fallen star that they're doing a really good job of making it feel like you don't need to be reading the supplementary material to understand everything that's going on. That uh, there are some plot threads that are alluded to in Rising Storm that like are obviously fleshed out more in the comics, and there are characters that pop up in both of the adult novels that are from you know the other novels or mm-hmm. the comics. But I don't. Th- I think they do such a good job establishing the characters who you actually need to know, and then you know maybe they name drop a few, and you're like, I don't know why that was in the book. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that definitely that happens in the second book quite a bit once they they've got their footing after the first one. They throw in some characters that are very specifically first and last names that I'm like they're going to come up at some point, I'm sure. And so I do think that like if you're a casual Star Wars fan and this era interests you, you're more than able to just read those adult novels or at least, you know, that's how I that's how I felt, but I also know more about Star Wars than the average guy and I didn't just read the adult novels. What do you think about that, James? Do you think if you're a casual adult Star Wars fan, you just want to read the adult novels that you get enough out of it? Or do you feel like compelled to read the supplementary material in order to actually understand what's going on? Like when you say casual, you mean like have seen at least 10 movies, right? Yeah. Oh, yeah. When I say casual, I mean a person that actually like really likes Star Wars. But okay, like, okay. Because like, if you've seen like the original trilogy and you're like, you want to jump to the High Republic, I guess I don't even necessarily think that's too bad of an idea. But there's just it's very as as much as I love how refreshing this era is and how different it all feels. It is a lot to take in when you're even with how much Star Wars I've consumed. It's uh, ideas that need a good amount of knowledge to wrap your head around. But yeah, I I guess I should redefine what I was saying earlier because <laughs> okay, you know you yeah. you correctly called me out on that. No, you're good because when I I think I mean more. If you only like the movies, if you're only familiar with the movies and maybe like the Clone Wars, then, which I think is the more pop or or the Mandalorian, I actually that is the sure, most, sure. that's definitely the most popular Star Wars series. Then then I would say yeah, if you are if you are steeped enough in it where you've had your history with Star Wars and you like the idea of expanding on Jedi specifically, then yeah, totally. It's it's you don't need to be like even I am struggling myself in reading these books with a lot of the more niche descriptors and the more niche details of characters that I definitely need to look up a lot of what they're talking about for you know somebody that might already know automatically all of these extended planets and character races I'm sure they'd get even more out of it but me I I still thought it was a fantastic couple of books even though there were some things that might have even been clearer to somebody else and i think these stories even though like they're the races and things and planets and things that you mention that are that are deeper cuts that you need to like have that wikipedia tab open for Mm. i do think that the stories are self-contained and accessible and interesting enough that 
I wouldn't, I'm not going to say I recommend anybody do this, but I think if you just read them as, like, science fiction fantasy novels without, like, thinking about them as Star Wars, like, if you didn't have a particular affinity for Star Wars, I think you could still enjoy and get something Mm -hmm. out of them. Because I do think, like, this is the first Star Wars media in years that I felt like hasn't been talking down to its audience. Because, frankly, I think the last thing, I think the last Star Wars movie that didn't talk down to its audience was Last Jedi. Like, the last Star Wars thing in general that didn't talk down to its audience was Last Jedi. Because Solo and Rise of Skywalker, I think both, in different ways, talk down to their audience. Mandalorian and Boba Fett have such mind-bogglingly simplistic, like, almost (laughs) juvenile storytelling. Like, it's almost like, like, I mean, Boba Fett, you and I talked about last week about how unimpressed we are. And the Mandalorian's almost like a weird fable. And then lastly, I, I honestly, Bad Batch is the most challenging thing we've had since Rise of Skywalker, or since Last Jedi, rather. Um, yeah, I would say so. Which isn't even, it's a kid's show, still, at its heart. I mean, it's violent and, and has darker themes, but, but you talk know. talk about violence and darker themes, that's the High Republic, man. That's High Republic. Like, it's for adults, and it's really nice and that it's, it's great for that it's adults. for adults, yeah. And it's not for adults in a way that's like cringy like in the way that like joker is for adults <laughs> or, like, or it, it's not even to the level of like game of thrones style brutality where that's like even that is like way more over the top than the incre- like it's incredibly effective the way they write this like you said it's not talking down it's just appropriate language and situations for an adult appreciating a piece of fiction and i think i a thing that I come back to a lot with, if we're talking about whether it's superheroes or Star Wars or anything else, that people want this, like, gritty rated R version of, Mm -hmm. in a way that's more juvenile than just being able to accept a text at face value. Like, I think there's more maturity in being able to watch The Bad Batch as, as a children's animated series and get something true and impactful out of it than there is in really wishing that the book of Boba Fett were more violent, which is a thing I'm mm. seeing a lot lately. Like, I think that it t- that media literacy, th- there's a credit to you when you're able to take something at face value and still get something out of it. And when the story is crafted at a level that adults and children alike can get something out of it. And that's like what Star Wars has often excelled at at its best and under the Disney era kind of floundered with, unfortunately. And I think the High Republic excels at that because it's very mindful of the fact that it is an all-ages brand for Star Wars. That there are children's books, middle-grade books, comics, and and adult fiction. And I, I think it does a really good job of balancing all of those things. Even, like, I think, sure, the High Republic is dense with all of its, pl- like, the, the adult novels, sorry, mm-hmm. specifically. The ones that we're actually talking about are dense with their naming and do have more adult content but i don't think that they're any more challenging necessarily than than like the most complex harry potter book sure sure but i do think like so i think it is accessible still to star wars fans of all ages while having a lot of thematic and character depth that adults can really mine into and it's there is something to say about there are so many star wars fans that after the rise of skywalker were just like get me out of this skywalker stuff man just like move on i mean us take too, me back Frank, you know? I, that's what i'm like even us yeah we were like like we were i remember being very happy and still being very happy 
when they were Disney publicly made the announcement like this is it this is the last numbered chapter skywalkers are done we're moving on they'll be in the periphery because they're important but we're not gonna like we're done here uh, like that, I always thought that was a great choice and having the high republic be about as removed as absolute possible without putting it in the old republic era i think (laughs) oh 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 man talk about shout out to those couple old republic references in the first couple books but um i don't know it the refreshing nature of it all just it feels so nice it's well written it's not such a tired concept such a close together era as we've seen so often and it's a lot of that force magic the magic wonder side of the force that old ben kenobi talks about in a new hope and i don't i mean the vague enough description that he gives you know binds the universe penetrates everybody is is just written about in such a pure non-clinical way in these books that it's it's just so nice to read truly i can't wait to i can't wait to read more about it this is a a stupid like analogy but i remember something that i was really fond of playing the the disney infinity star wars games is that they are it's set in these relatively small open worlds where you can run around as different star wars characters and just do different missions and races and 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 Okay. Whatever, you know, like standard open world stuff for yeah, kids. Yeah. And something I always loved, it was playing as like an Obi-Wan or a Luke and going around and just doing the time. Like it, you'll see a Jawa like hopping up and down asking for your help and you have to go like stop the sand crawl or whatever stupid thing you have to do. You and should that have was seen something... the scowl on my face when you said oh, Jawa. Yeah, I know. I, I should have picked somebody else. <laughs> I should have picked. You do help Tusken no, Raiders no, and I... stuff too. Um, oh, good, good. But I there was there was a pleasure in that I took from that it is like there's this role I we I referred earlier to the Jedi as like knights Jedi knights mm-hmm. obviously is what they're called and this idea of like a knight who goes around and does good deeds and helps people around the galaxy because that's what like chivalry is and that's what being being a, a hero means and that's something that we get glimpses of in Star Wars, but I always, wi- and, and the Clone Wars specifically fleshes that out more, but I always wish there was more of that in Star Wars storytelling. And that's something that I really enjoy doing is like these stupid little missions in this in this game for, for eight-year-olds <laughs> where I was really interacting and engaging with like the normal people of the galaxy. And I think that's something actually that uh, I love about episode two. <laughs> Is that all of Obi-Wan's stuff is just, like, dealing with, like, normal people. Yeah, that's true. And, you know, weird cloning uh, I mean, yeah, bounty he, hunter He truly man, is doing, but... like, fetch quests and, like, errand quests. And I, I think that's fun. And I, I like that the High Republic is almost all that. Like, that it's the Jedi, all of the Jedi are out at their outposts, are out, mm. you know learning about the minutia of normal people's lives and trying to help them. And it's not all political and it's not all about, you know, the chosen one or one or any of that stuff. It's just, they're just trying to help people. And I, I really enjoy that. And it's something that I feel like was missing from star Wars storytelling for a long time. But now we're back. We're back with an infinite time of like well-written, cool Jedi characters 
that can get into situations that don't have to ref- uh, have to affect anything in the prequel era at all. That you can have your interesting, like really interesting, well-written bad guy group. It is that chivalry, like you said. It's the it's the heart of being a Jedi is like intact as it is not intact in something like the prequels where you can see the dogma of everything just eroding what it means to be a Jedi instead of in these books we get you know each book has these much larger conflicts that they're dealing with but like the smaller pieces around that conflict showing that the Jedi are like this tool that so many people use in in a way that's like they are meant to help people they are meant to go clean up messes that nobody else is capable of because they're the Jedi and they're doing everything out of the goodwill of the Force. Seamus, I'm curious which of the books you enjoyed more. I think The Light of the Jedi has to take it for me. I don't know if it was the situation itself, the specific event that they're working to fix in the first one just compelled me so much, or the fact that I guess little little spoiler alert. I was very interested to see more of what Avar Chris was going on in the second book, and she's in it a little less than I was anticipating. But I genuinely really, really enjoyed them both. I think that I'm definitely excited to see how the conclusion of what they set up in the second book comes to a head in that last one that you're reading now. But I, the, that first one just enthralled me so much, and I thought it was such an amazing introduction into what the Jedi Order means in the High Republic era, and I, I just it swept me up in everything. I thought it was it was so good. But but what about you? Between the first two, what, where's your preference lie? Well, the reason I ask is because I think I like just like you the way that the Jedi are presented in Light of the Jedi more. I think it's a mm-hmm. like. And that's the point, right? Is is we're kind of seeing we're kind of seeing this like hubris of the Jedi start to seep in a little bit and how they're changing and that light of the Jedi is genuinely them at their best. And it engages me in that way and I think the characters are really lovable. Oh yeah. And and not just the Jedi characters. I think we are focusing a lot on the Jedi, but there's a lot of really fantastic non-Jedi characters in both of these books. And Despite that, though, I think the second book maybe engages me more on a story level. I, there's there is a mystery at the center of yeah yeah the second book, whereas the fir- after the first half of the uh, of the first book, some of the conflict kind of goes away, and there there's a lot of really interesting storytelling and character moments in the second half of the first book. But, like, there's a bigger conflict that builds throughout the course of The Rising Storm that I think kept me more engaged than, um, there was a little bit of a drop-off for me. And then it picked up back up at the end, but The Light of the Jedi has a lull in it where, even though I was still enjoying the characters in the world, it did lose me for a minute. Which, I think maybe this might be a good transition point to talk about spoilers. Yes, let's do that right after I totally compliment everything you just said, because I, I 100% agree with it, and I, I think that there's a lot of merit in, in what you said there, especially about the the differences between the first and second halves of that first book. But yeah, I, I would love to talk specifics, characters, events, the Nile, God love them. Yeah, I'm, so if you are a Star Wars fan, I think... For me, at the type of Star Wars fan that I am, this is the most rewarding Star Wars has been for me in a very long time. I also like that there's generally a lack of toxicity around it because I think the people mm. that 
care enough to engage with this content aren't the people that are super toxic. Like, it doesn't take a lot to... And I, I'm not trying to sound elitist or, or gatekeepy because I think that these are accessible novels and comics that plenty of people are obviously reading and plenty of people should read. But I think it's a lot easier to watch a movie and whine about it and talk about how bad it is than it is to read through multiple novels and actually have... Like, I feel like the discussion around it has just been a lot more civil. Not that everybody loves it. And sure, I don't need sure. everybody to love it. But I do like but, that it also is a, a corner of Star Wars that isn't super toxic, which is, after the last five years, really nice. <laughs> well, I'm... Yeah, I, I have yet to see anything that I, I didn't like within the community of the High Republic enjoyers. So, and you're very right. Hate reading something takes so much more effort than hate watching something, which is definitely what people have been doing with Star Wars, at least since The Force Awakens. So, but yeah, let's, I think let's mark official spoilers for both Light of the Jedi and The Rising Storm. Talk about them as, as one unit. We won't do spoilers for uh, any of the other material that I've read, even though I might mention something slightly more specific about that if there's like a character or something mm. that pops up in the comics or um i won't talk about the third book at all out of respect to you of course <laughs> thank um, you i appreciate it but like if, if you know if there's something that our discussion that might glean more insight from either test of courage or the comics i might bring that in oh please i i i wish you would thank you uh, i know there's a lot of periphery stuff that i'm going to need context for before i get there but i where do you want to start here would you want to go first book second book or do you want to jump around characters let's go let's try to structure first book second book but if we need to jump around i'm more than happy to jump around all right the hetzel event was thrilling i yes. was absolutely loving the chapter by chapter impact countdown that each each chapter had with the minutes until impact of the um the legacy run wreckage on the on the planet i thought that was great i was reading so i was reading lightning fast through those all of the stuff we kind of alluded to about the song of the force and avar chris's role in what the jedi order is at this point is fascinating and i think that in in so many things we hear about like you know there's like battle meditation and like the way that the force interacts with and for the jedi and the way that they describe this in their efforts to you know avoid all this wreckage on hetzel i think it was absolutely immaculately written i was so engaged with it all and it finally gave me like the perfect like i'm gonna think about this example so much now when you think about the abstract of the force and what it can do and how avar can like network everything it does penetrate and bind every single jedi and she's like the conduit that i think is is so good and that's why i was pretty sad that she was in like zero percent of the second book except for like on a hollow screen when she was doing her other thing i think all of that was beautifully put seamus and i completely agree with all of it um oh, thank you yeah i think that the specific moment you're referring to which gave me just insane goosebumps the first time i read it is mm -hmm. the tank of tabana gas is hurtling towards the sun and avar's gift is to be able to strengthen the bonds between all the force users enough that they can all focus together to move it enough out of the way that it doesn't explode and kill everybody 
And that's something I'm really enjoying about the High Republic, not only specifically Avar's gift, but the fact that they are putting so much emphasis on the fact that every Jedi and every person's connection to the Force is different, and that oh, it manifests yeah. in different ways. And that's something that I think is even better explored in some of, the, like, because they do it more bluntly in some of the, like, younger-aimed novels. Oh, I believe um, that, yeah. And because I started uh, Race to Crash Point Tower and didn't finish it, but that like the main character in that I know his the way his gift manifests is like the force talks to him through like mechanics. Oh and, and like technology. Okay. And I think that's some and it something that, that even kind of implies to me that like you see how it's amplified now how broken the Jedi Order is in the prequel trilogy. Because you can't tell me like life seems so much simpler when you're fixing things, right? You can't tell me that that doesn't mean that Anakin's gift wasn't channeled in some way through his his intuition with technology and with and with machines and that that's something mm-hmm. that the Jedi seem to kind of have repressed in him and expected him to follow their more dogmatic path and that's something that the High Republic the Jedi in that era they embrace and I love that element of it and love learning more about each individual Jedi and their individual connection to the Force. It's the first time I've ever really bit cared about, like, what lightsabers look like. Sure, yeah. Oh, man. I don't care that Mace Windu's lightsaber is purple. What does that mean? You know, but, like, now in the High Republic, they're so expressive and so unique to each Jedi that it works, I think, so much better. It's it's so fascinating to see, like, it's a, it's a whole new society that we kind of have to uh, you look through that lens at it through because... In so many ways in that first book, the way they're describing, like, you know, these Jedi have expressive feelings and it's normal for them to be angry and for them to feel romantic attraction. And it's almost like comically punctuated in that first book by like, oh, yeah, the Jedi would be idiots if they did this thing that is the entire prequel trilogy view of the Jedi Order. Like, yeah. oh, why would we wear our robes all the time? That would be terrible. Oh, why wouldn't we feel romantic attraction? That would make us inhuman. You know, it's very... It's kind of like what most people like us have been saying about why a lot of the things, like the manipulation of Anakin to turn against the Jedi Order was pretty easy. I don't want to say easy, but like, life is terrible in the prequel era if you're a Jedi, you know? None of the things that are so casually mentioned in the High Republic books as the part of the lifestyle of a Jedi and why this era specifically is them at their height and taking all of those ideas and honestly making me a little nervous and boiling it down to at the end of this series, when we get towards the, I mean, I'm definitely getting years ahead of myself, but what is going to happen in these storylines that's going to make the Jedi Order twist itself into what we know in the originals and in the prequels? Well, I'm not far enough into Rising Storm that this is, that this, what I'm about to say is any kind of indication of what I know but like, okay. the, or not Rising Storm, Fallen Star. Right. Oh, that's what I. That, right. Yeah. But the way that Rising Storm ends, I think, is a pretty dire. Like that, things look bad for the Jedi because I think it. I haven't read Rising Storm since it came out, but I think the last line of that is it's Stellan, right? When he sees Loden crumble away. Yeah. For the first time in many years, Stellan Gios was afraid. Yeah. Ooh, my God, chilling. Good God. That there's something that can that can. And again, we don't really know what it is. Like, it's some kind of creature or being that could yeah, so fundamentally leveler. challenge 
so horrifically like suck the force literally out of a living being that it challenges the very core of like what the Jedi believe it seems and I'm really excited to see how that manifests more fully in in Rising or in Fallen Star I keep calling it Rising Star I'm sorry <laughs> it's okay it's okay um, in Fallen I, Star and I I know we have a lot of Jedi to touch on but I just also want to quickly talk about how much I absolutely love Marsh Marcion Rowe Marshawn Rowe I think it's I've been saying it Markion in my head Markion Rowe let's just yeah, call him for Ro. sure Rowe yeah the eye the eye of the, the Nile. eye of the Nile the eye of the storm I love how ruthless he is and frankly I love the Nile as a threat to the Republic I think that they're very interesting and the weird inner politics of the tempests and the eye and the the storms the clouds and strikes I I kind of super dig it especially with a lot of the mysterious chapters that Roe is like doing things that make no sense to us or anybody else that would be viewing it in the story itself. But I'm excited to see more about, like, the leveler and all, all of his, like, secret plans, his father, what it meant to establish the the Nile. And I, I think that it is... Oh, and, of course, Lorna D and Pan and all of them. Like, yeah. I, I'm a big fan. I thought I thought they were very compelling bad guys. Yeah, I think Lorna D especially is, like, a fascinating yeah. character who gets... That's another thing that's so joyous about this this era of Star Wars to me is that who would normally be de- delegated to like this real like lieutenant position, this mm. shallow, dismissible role like a Tarkin or a Captain Phasma in in this story has been given so much depth, like the amount of depth, frankly, that I feel like an, a main antagonist in a Star Wars thing usually gets. Uh, yeah. Sometimes not even that. I feel like she has way more depth than like Snoke, you know. <laughs> oh yeah. And I love that. I love. I agree that the Nile are a really interesting threat for the Jedi because, like we were just talking about, they challenge the core beliefs of the Jedi without just being bad Force users, which is something yeah. that's kind of bo- like I love the Sith. I love the stories involving the Sith, but frankly, it's something that's kind of boring at this point. And I like seeing the Jedi face other types of threats that are still equally challenging like the Sith, but come from a different place. They come from a more grounded place in the Star Wars universe because despite the fact that the High Republic is all about Jedi, like I was saying, I love the relationships of the Jedi with all of the normal folks Mm. in the galaxy. And the first half of uh, Light of the Jedi honestly focuses more on normal people, I think, than it does on the Jedi themselves. Yeah, there's that great husband and wife, long beam pilot I couple. I love they them. Were aw- what was their names again? I, it, I was a big fan. It's like, uh, I, I, I'll need to look it up. I should, cause... But yeah, they they were fantastic. I, I really loved them. I honestly was hoping to see more of them in the second book. but um, Are they mentioned in the second book at all? Don't think so. I don't think so. So they're the Ad... Joss and Pika. Ad yeah, men. yeah. They were... They were great. Very, very Firefly. Yeah, I thought that too. And I like their dynamic. And I think they have, a, like, th- there's a good chunk of their first chapter that's just devoted to, like, their backstory and what their lives are like and who they are as people. And I want to know yeah. if they pop up in any of the other side material because I want I want to see oh, that'd more be so of nice. them. Because I love them. And uh, they're such engaging characters in that, they are just people living their lives in the galaxy. And they, they are still heroes, and they're still 
brave and Joss is the one who really comes up with the idea of how to actually yeah, save yeah. the people that are with being careened through space. Um, and that, just the idea of what the Hetzel Prime incident, the emergences, just what what they are is so cool, so unique as a threat to have to deal with. And j- even, like, the first chapter of the first book is just, like, the very touching and, honestly... I'm so sad that she got turned into a fireball hurtling through space, but the old lady pi- uh, piloting the legacy run, I was like, oh, hell yeah, this old lady's going to be a main character. She's going to be <laughs> like like the the Firefly pilot that's going to like transport Jedi or something and then immediately gets crushed. Same thing they did uh, the very next chapter, the second chapter, is just the two radar technicians that get absolutely destroyed on Hetzel. That they just that sacrifice themselves unknowingly oh, yeah, really they, sacrifice themselves to warn everybody else. They're like, well we're not getting out of here. We need to like warn people. Well, that's and... the thing. They don't they don't even say we're not getting out of here. They say before we go we oh, need to right, cuz the way they describe the emergencies just just vaporizing. And I mean like it was a little hard for me to picture what something like that moving in a hyper lane like that would look like, but just the description of what it did to the things that it hit were enough for me to just fall in love with that idea of danger. I mean, it's like, um, I, what I am picturing is like when the Star Destroyers fall out of hyperspace, except they just, keep, like, they just appear, except they keep going. Like... Right, I mean, like, I can, I that like, part I, I get, but... Then when we get to, like, the, all right, it's in a hyperlane and we need to time it so that we can catch it, but it is moving at the speed of yeah. light, and we can see it, but it's in a hyperlane. It's very hard to hard to think about, but yeah, it's, very intimidating nonetheless. And it's something that I think only really books work to use to, to do that. Oh, That's yeah. the only medium yeah, yeah, that yeah. story can be told in, because you need the words to say it, it because I, I you wouldn't be able to understand visually what was going on ever, I don't think. Um, I also really love the young tech on Hetzel, um, whose name I oh, can't remember because I read Kevin, that book so long Kevin ago. Kevin Tarr, yeah. I think. I, I remember it was Kevin because I was like, wow, all right, Kevin, good man. <laughs> but yeah, he was great too. Just the, the, his like sweaty nerd, crisis nerd character where he's like the man in the chair. And I think that's one of my favorite moments in the entire Light of the Jedi book and, or, or the High Republic as a whole are when he's trying to get the all the bots to work together as a giant oh, yeah. computer, and he needs to keep them cool, and Elzar and Avar sit there and make it, it like, use the force to make it rain. Oh, yeah, that was so cool. And, th- again, that, when I say it out loud, I kept, I, I kept telling my parents about the High Republic, because they'll never Right, know. right. Oh, yeah. And... I kept telling my parents about, like, things that happened in the book. They were like, wow, Garrett, that sounds really dumb. <laughs> like, like, oh, wow, they made it rain. Good job. Oh, and, but how they describe it, damn it, was so incredible. That's exactly it. It's the way that they really get to the heart of, like, what the Force is and how they can use it and what these characters think and feel and what their lives are like. That's what makes it so engaging. It's just good storytelling. It really is. But yeah, like, that's in the second half of that book, where after the Hetzel Prime disaster, I feel like it does lose a significant amount of momentum. Yeah, because then that that's like getting more into the uh, kidnapping on Elfrana. Yeah, 
Which and... is also Elfrana is in a lot of other things now too. Like they've like oh, they've kind of dropped that into different like either lines of dialogue or, or like Luke Skywalker. I think went there in a recent Star Wars comic. Oh no, kidding! It's the new Tatooine. We're here forever now. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, this is a good time to ask you who's your favorite. Who's your favorite character, or who are some of your favorite characters, Seamus? I am a big fan, and. I'm sure this is not just me. I'm a huge fan of, and this is more in the second book, Elzar and Stellan. Yeah. Love him. They're like if Obi-Wan and Anakin were like way more of mutual Jedi instead of the whole master apprentice thing. Mm -hmm. And the way that they describe their friendship with each other and with uh, Avar, it just works in those newly allowed Jedi emotional connections that feel like they're so much stronger because they're, it's like bonded in the force and not like off the table because the force says no love in your life. You know, it's very, the way they speak with each other, the, the humor between them, it's, it seems very well done. I love it all. And maybe especially cause Elzar is, I'm just, for whatever reason, I'm imagining Elzar man as just Zap Brannigan from Futurama <laughs> as a Jedi. <laughs> and I I don't know what why, but I it's it fits so perfectly. Well uh, if we're talking if we're talking casts in our heads <laughs> I Avar I just picture as Avar from the front of the book. I think that that's like pretty Yeah, me too. I think this is a I don't know why my brain did this, but I really picture Elzar as Theo James from Divergent. Um, I do not know who that is. He's the main guy in Divergent. That's the only thing I even know him from, I think. Um, and I don't even remember... Him, like, I mean, I don't have much of an opinion on him. I don't remember him being a particularly impressive actor or anything, but I just, like, that's the look in my head sure, that Elzar sure. has. I feel like I saw him in something recently where he wasn't bad, but I don't remember what it was. And I now that I'm looking at his IMDb page, I don't see anything I've seen him in other than Divergent, so maybe I'm just crazy. Um, <laughs> his comeback is Star Wars, baby. Um, but I, I think he'd be, Star Wars. Like, I think that's who I picture, and then I picture this is another deep cut, so get ready to not know who I'm talking about. <laughs> the guy who plays Gallivant is who I picture as Stellan. Um, wow, okay, I know exactly who you're talking about. I'm glad you used Gallivant and not his real name. because oh, I, I don't know known. his real name, straight up. Um... <laughs> Oh, I'll look God. it up now. Joshua Sassy, S A S S E. I mean, he. I think he like he's got the beard and the swashbuckling twinkle for that. I think. Sure. Yeah. And I. That's what I like about Stellan is that he's like this pretty boy face of the Jedi, but that he's just kind of, like he's kind of bumbling. Like he just <laughs> he, he doesn't know what's going on a lot of the time. You're about Stellan? Yeah, like, like I think a lot of the time, Stel- like, Stellan is confused by the behavior oh, of a lot of people. You know people, what, that's I fair, like, yeah. He's like, why can't, why can't we all just, like, get along and just do, you know, do I really have to... Like, he, I, don't, I don't know, maybe not bum... Maybe not... But like, confused, I feel like there's but... a few cutaways, too, where he's like, I'm the blank of the High Council, I should be blank. Like, he, there's a lot of weird doubt about his higher weird poster boy position yeah and i think i think his relationship with the chancellor uh chancellor so a character we haven't even mentioned despite all of our talk about non-jedi characters being super engaging oh yeah she's awesome and i'm picturing her as like an aged up emily blunt like a oh, like, that's interesting that's interesting 
but I think that they have a really interesting relationship, her and Stellan. I also, just going back to Elzar for a minute since you brought him up, I think he has, even though they kind of snuck it in, I feel like he's kind of become the de facto lead in a, in a way of the series, um, of well, these he, books. There's a lot of, yeah, you're, you're definitely right. There's a lot of very important points on Elzar that seem very main character-y. And not to mention, I think the fact that, I think your comparison of him to Anakin is a very intentional one. I think that the way that Elzar views the Force and engages with the Jedi is showing you that, like, what could it have been like for Anakin if he were Mm. in a different time, if the Jedi had not been the way that they had been? Because I think that his his almost immature but very human attachment to Avar Mm -hmm. mirrors Anakin's infatuation with Padme... And his relationship with Elzar, intention, like you mentioned, mirrors Anakin's relationship with Obi-Wan. But this is going to be such an interesting view of that kind of relationship because they are all Jedi equals in a time where yeah. these feel... Like, I don't want to jump too far ahead into the second book, but there are moments where, like, you know, Elzar's doing some stuff he doesn't necessarily <laughs> like, and yeah. he's he is... You know, he, like, comes forward with these feelings to his friends instead of, you know, Skywalker-style brooding about it until it explodes into some youngling slang. But, you know, <laughs> he, it's it's such an interesting, like, we're kind of learning, at least I felt like it, we were learning as we read about, like, what is and isn't necessarily allowed, and a lot more is allowed than... Totally what you would think yeah like yeah i mean they're you're referring to the fact that there is sex in a star wars thing which is oh i actually wasn't but look where your dirty ass mind um, went garrett listen like i <laughs> i know i know that he has the like elzar's entire arc of the second throughout the second book is like that he's being he's being pulled to the dark side and that he doesn't like the per, like that he's giving into these an animalistic impulses that he doesn't want to partake in i think what you were talking because what i interpreted you to be talking about <laughs> is that when he has sex he kind of mentions it's not it's okay for jedi to have sex it's just that we need to make sure that that's not clouding our judgment which i thought was su- and also he alludes to having a sexual past with avar mm-hmm. which is really interesting to me like i think that that is like because the jedi are so monkish in the prequels that having yeah, seriously. such a, a physical demonstrative act uh it is like shocking it, it, because star wars is so weird and sexless anyway too yeah i'm i thought of you saying something like that when elzar was you know laying some lightsaber down on the, <laughs> during the festival but like you know i'm glad we're going back to it's just an adult book about things that adults do and that also involves casual one night stands here and there if you're a space wizard but also once again like it's not anything like it's not smut they're exactly like it's something that a teenager could very easily read or even probably younger it's just that it's you know it's the implication of what's happening with elzar that is more of the focus and not the act itself it's not supposed to be flashy or anything like that I also want to talk, I want to talk Padawans because we haven't at all. My boy Bell and yeah. Briaga and... Zennifer Bell is, I mean, he. if there's another lead of this series, it's him, I think. And it's an awesome other lead because I, I love Bell, Zennifer. And I, lo- I love his relationship with his first master, Loden. 
who's one of the most engaging characters. Like, obviously, he is written to be, like, you're supposed to like him immediately and connect to him immediately and then be absolutely devastated when he is just, like, put through the ringer for, through these first I two mean, books. Yeah, when you when you asked me before, like, do you have any favorite characters, he is definitely top of the pops for me in a lot of different ways, and I think you're you're definitely right. And um, Briaga, also you mentioned, who I just, I love him so much. I want to give him a giant hug. I need more Briaga time in these books. I think that they set him up, and I'm so curious to see more of him interacting with others, because he's great. He is he's such an interesting idea for a character. And he feels, like, because he, his, like, special connection with the Force is that he feels other people's feelings more amplified like through the force and i think mm-hmm. that's a really interesting like it's kind of a power but it's also really a cross to bear for him like he's the one who figures out that there are people on all of the debris hurtling through hyperspace yeah and he could like it's like overwhelming him and hurting him almost the way it's described because his his uh master is nib a who is a character who i really like and i wish that they would give me just a little bit more uh, because she's really cool, but I don't think that they get, like, they don't give me enough of what she actually does, unfortunately. Yeah, I, I definitely feel that. There's a couple Jedi in that, like, secondary Jedi mix that I would love to have a little side story time with, but they're probably in the works already, if not already somewhere in the, the parts of this. The corners we haven't reached yet? Yeah, exactly, yeah. There are, there's more there, because there's, they're definitely very interesting. Porter Angle? Uh, ah, damn it, love- you beat me to it. That's what I was looking for. <laughs> <laughs> this old Jedi who phase two of the High Republic is going to be set even further back in time. So I'm assuming we're going to get more about him and more about oh, hyperspace yeah. prospecting and old old lady Santeca who's in the right, weird yeah. cryopod that Markeon Rowe has locked up. Yeah, gosh. I would love to... Do you want to maybe bleed a little bit into the second book yeah, here? Let's, there's... Yeah, let's talk second book because I think we're getting there. We're getting there. Yeah, anyway. definitely, definitely. The, it, the first one was such a such a triumph for for a start, and the second one, a lot more combat focused, a lot more like the event. There's a lot of dread building. You know this fair. You know this fair is gonna get hit from the start. <laughs> You're not. You you have no airs about it. Yeah, like that it's gonna be a terrorist attack at the at the carnival, and yeah. they really come through. It's the way they describe the Niles attack is is genuinely very frightening it's a very uh barbaric way they do things and I, I that adds to the level of intimidation and just how much i like them that it is it isn't like this and i i, I know there are schemes behind a lot of what the nile is doing that roe has not revealed yet to us the reader but like i don't know it seems again less dogmatic and weirdly planned than the manipulation of Palpatine to do all the Clone Wars and I guess everything ever yeah. stuff. Um, <laughs> everything that happens in the Star Wars movie, Palpatine, he did it. Um, uh, if you that... you thought the bad guy in Solo was Woody Harrelson? No, no, no. It was Palpatine. Uh, at the end of the <laughs> the third High Republic book you're reading right now, it's gonna be like, what's that? What's that baby in that big black cloak over there? What is he doing? Hmm, should keep an eye on that guy. Oh, come here, baby Sheev. Oh. <laughs> oh, oh God. What, what is that? Your first word? Oh, do, do it? Ah, you you got me. Darth Plagueis the Wise? Oh, never heard of him, little baby Sheev. <laughs> oh, here, you want to read? You want me to read you a bedtime story? <laughs> oh, that's what it is. 
<laughs> oh, God. I, th- I think it is possible that we could potentially get some higher public storytelling that ties into some Sith things. Like, Dooku technically is around at the tail end of the High Republic. Oh, yeah, we could for see sure. Him pop up, I think. That's kind of um, what I was uh, thinking about before of like 150 years, long time. Not that long, considering half of the characters are like a m- couple centuries old, you know? And I think. Yoda's is kicking around in, in the High Republic. Yeah, exactly. And... He's like, it's like prime Yoda time. Like 750 year old Yoda. And there's that, uh,. The, the one who, I, I read this, I didn't know this off the top of my head, I'm not this much of a nerd. The, the like, the the Kaminoan looking guy, the guy with the skinny head. Oh yeah, sure, sure. On the council in Phantom Menace, it, it, but isn't in Attack of the Clones, is name dropped also in, in some of the High Republic stuff. I didn't know that. What? Until, like, That's weird. But like, I mean, it makes sense because he's this old member of the Jedi Council, you know? Um, sure, sure, that... Yeah, I'll, I'll I'll definitely be interested because I I know they have the little timeline of canon Star Wars things in front of each of the books that has been I wish was filled out a little more, but also gets more and more crowded more. every time a book comes out. Like you look at Rise yeah, of Storm, you're true. like, man, so much stuff came out in like the six <laughs> months between these books. <laughs> very true, very true. Oh man, they needed to set up all that stuff with. I, I actually don't know if they set up anything with Ty, another character that I think is kick-ass, and I can't wait to see more of. I'm I'm waiting for her to show up in the stupid third one. I'm like, <laughs> where is she? Um, oh, dude, you know her and Elzar Man are going to be Master Apprentice. Ri- riding dragons together. Oh, so cool. I loved that. That was such a cool piece. It, it's that, in, the, in Rising Storm, it's that sequence and the i love bell saving all of the people in the overturned ship i think oh, that's totally, so yeah. cool like this weird like pearl harbor scenario that they've I, got. I was thinking poseidon where there's just like everything's different people are pinned down water's rushing in yeah yeah love that love that very good that's and uh, his his charhound ember the best oh, absolutely adorable very very lovely i'm sure I, I was hoping to see, I want to see some, some art of Belle and that Charhound, because I think that's that's real cute. You do have Belle, at least on the cover of Rising Storm, which I, I'm yes. happy about. In um, a, a three-person team-up that I... That doesn't happen does, in the I, book. I was about to say, did I just out myself as somebody who didn't pay attention? That never happens, right? Well, neither does the lineup on the front of Light of the Jedi. Well, yeah, I guess, but that, no, I guess that's fair. <laughs> it's, it's, it's thematic, because, I mean... Those are the... They're not really the three leads, actually. I was going to say, those are the three leads of Rising Storm, but they're not. They're... Because I feel like Elzar is more prominent than Ty, mm. really. I don't but, know. Ty, Ty gets their own side story with the cool and messed up disruptor weapon that turns off lightsabers that we haven't talked about yet. Oh, yeah. I, for, I forget about that. I, I'm I'm hoping that old Martian Rose got one tucked away somewhere that he's just going to drop on him. In, yeah. a, in a fight somewhere. Yeah, I'm really interested to see. I, I, I don't think Rose... I don't think Rose's story is going to end in Rising... Or in Fallen Star. I think... If it ends at all, I think... I know that Kevin Scott is working on a story called The Eye or some such thing. I don't remember what it's called off the oh, top okay. of my head. But that there's like a... There's a, there's a, there's a two-part row comic coming out. Oh, hell... Oh, good. I want to see what he looks like in a comic. Because I... I don't know, just his descriptors are so fascinating and 
he's a bad guy that I'm really digging on. I I feel like he's more. He's like such a strange middle ground between like a Thrawn and a Kylo Ren, where there's like so much calculation, but it's still like these weird, super dark, twisted motivations that are like sending him over the edge in a lot of the scenes that he's in. Yeah, there's um, definitely a lot of Thrawn in him, I think. Totally. Um, but and I, he's got more emotion. He's more sadistic than Thrawn. Yeah, I adored the first couple chapters with him and that tabaxi bird guy where he <laughs> brings him to weird the guy yeah i was hoping he was gonna stick around if i'm being honest they put so much into him and his like his dad and his, <laughs> like all the cool stuff about his like species and him dealing with the environment and i don't know those those couple chapters with them in rose old hag cousin or whatever uh, I loved those, and I, I thought there should have been more of that, but they kind of book it after those chapters. Yeah, when he's going to, to see his hillbilly family out and yeah. get, his, get his big old Get his ghost weapon. in a box. Yeah. I, I, I want to know so bad what oh, right, what on. the leveler is. That it's, it's, uh, it's cool. It, for, like, in those final chapters, when he's powering it up, it sounded like a machine, but like he's like, oh, yeah, metal scraping, uh, some remote device, like... You know, getting the thing out of ice itself, and then they describe it as like an ethereal, teeth-filled, claw-having ghost monster. Yeah, but I want like that's the thing. I'm I'm waiting for like Elzar or Avar or or Bell or somebody to come face to face. Not that I want that, obviously, because I don't want them to die. But I I'm I'm just waiting for them to come face to like a, a, one of our POV characters to really come face to face with it, so I can really see. Yeah. What's going a little, on? A good, a fat description of what this thing looks like in action. Because my God, it's it's a freaky thing. They they roast my boy right after he gets out of prison. Oh. I was so happy that that he got out of there. Cause t- and like the the prison break sequence too, where he's like waiting for his opportunity. All the gut wrenching torture scenes. Mm-hmm. He gets his uh, his leku cut off. Yeah, that's. That's messed up. That's I keep myself from. I agree with the other thing you were gonna say too. Yeah, yeah, Um, dude. Like I I was ready for him and Bell to reunite. Ah, turning him into a dusted corpse is is just rough. Yeah, it's it's such a visceral description to. Yeah, his face caving in and like just like collapsing. I understand. I've not seen the actual image. I understand that it's been also depicted in a comic recently. Ooh. Um, I'm very interested. Not the thing itself, not the not the leveler, but oh, but, but the aftermath of what it does to somebody. Yeah, but like to Loden specifically, I think, and they show oh. Loden in a comic. Whoa! Um, so I'm very interested to see what that is like. Um, I picture him with the voice of Lance Reddick. Interesting, interesting choice. But I guess that 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 can clock. I can see Lance Reddick in that role, like even. a deep commanding. You know? Yeah, totally. I don't know if that's how I pi- I picture him again, like kind of like Avar. I just picture him like he looks on the cover of Light of the Jedi. Sure, sure. But I think I like that voice for him. I definitely have a feeling if you haven't already gotten there, where you are in the third book, that a lot of what they were setting up with the other masters telling Bell, like, don't, don't worry, Loden is with you through the Force. He's closer than ever. I have a feeling that the time that I want with Loden is gonna be post mortem Force Ghost style giving his former Padawan advice, definitely guiding him around a lot more. 
the, th- the way this thing is described, I don't even know. Like, it's almost like it literally t- takes away your force. Like, it's almost like it, oh, it consumes meant- you. Because, you know? yeah, I, I reread that last, that description, and it was like, it almost looks like it literally sucks the force out of him. I didn't mean that almost literally, meant literally, literally. That is so much darker than I, don't know, I imagined. I don't know if that's, I'm not even saying that's how I interpret it. I'm just saying that I feel like that is possible. Yeah, whatever whatever the leveler is, it was a very ancient being. You had to, like, chip it out of ice and get it out of an ice labyrinth like guarded by Mon. Yeah, exactly. It's very... Like Mothra. <laughs> yeah, it's very... Whatever it is, it's some ancient power. It'll let us know what Rose whole deal is. And I can only imagine that next phase of the books where it's uh, even earlier than this will get probably Rose's dad, who he keeps referring to, so, the too. early days of the Nile. Yeah. More Santeca stuff, like I mentioned earlier. Oh, yeah, for sure. Yeah, I'm, I'm uh, more Porter's... Porter um, and uh, Yoda eating nine egg stew together. I, I would like it if they did give it because Yoda, like five hundred year old Yoda or four or four uh, five or six hundred year old Yoda, I feel like is young enough that he can be more inexperienced and that you can make him more of a prominent character where sure, he's yeah. still learning. Because that's a side of Yoda we've not really seen, even in Legends that wasn't explored a ton. Do you think he has hair when he's young? <laughs> you think it's like a beautiful like, head of like of Yaddle, like, like Yaddle, Yaddle has yeah, hair? <laughs> exactly. But it's like a short sexy like <laughs> I, don't, I don't know short sexy haircut yoda like like jake lloyd at the end of of episode <laughs> yeah. one <laughs> yeah he's got his little braid but it's super long since he's old maybe i don't know that'd be that'd be interesting i feel like they won't probably no I've, no no have you seen some of the concept art for like what baby yoda could have looked like and it, it's more no. in line with like just like a like smoothed out yoda <laughs> That's very funny. I'm gonna have to look that up. That's it's kind of cursed. On the, the thing that's remarkable about Grogu is that he is so much cuter than literally any of the concept art they made for him. So <laughs> they made like, sure of that. Thank goodness for that, because like if he weren't cute, it would not be. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, not be nearly as endearing. I don't think. Oh, I don't think so either. Good God. He's already kind of creepy when he, like, does gremlin-style sh- stuff where he's, like, eating eggs and, like, <laughs> all that, but... Ugh, yeah. Yeah. I, I don't think we're gonna get any answers about Yoda's species in the High Republic series. I'd watch me have to eat crow in six oh, months. Oh, dude, but, um... I, I didn't even think that was on the table, but now I definitely think it is. I think they're gonna subtly connect this back to the most popular Star Wars thing out right now which is the mandalorian in some way i mean we haven't even like they mentioned like the sith wars and you know they dropped uh manan and kalto and uh terrace all that old republic stuff but we haven't really gotten any mandalorian mentions at all i know no which i'm kind of glad about because i get sick of the mandalorians i think well, I, I, I think hey, they're hey. too saturated <laughs> in in star wars media right but, now but the the glorious era of the Mandalorian Crusaders? That's so different. You are a Mandalorian. (laughs) Your ancestors rode the great Mythosaur. Oh, God. Anyway, the High Republic. I think that this... I think we're... I think we could talk for hours. There's so many specifics that we could really dive into. I... You know, more about the Nile. Their design and structure is lovely. The... The details that Pepper, I love Senator Toon. I didn't say that. Oh, what a Senator Toon is guy, the Soliston. Oh, but I, I, he's like such an annoying little bastard. But like, 
character written with integrity, even though uh-huh. I disagree with him. It's so well done compared to like all of the other Senate stuff in anything else. I think it's well the you know yeah. Chancellor So and all of her cool like great works and her characterization, her, the fact that motivation. Yeah, yeah, like... yeah. Oh God, there's a million things we could go in on, but ultimately, I think that this is like my new favorite era of Star Wars. I it's I'm nowhere near as far into it as I could be and I am loving it all. And I genuinely can't wait until they inevitably make, you know, video games. Give me give me a Knights of the High Republic video game in the yeah. same vein as Knights of the Old Republic and I'll be done for. I don't even I I'm honestly I'm just kind of happy with what we have. If I it's so what good. I would like really is a soundtrack i would like them to make a Ooh, like that you know how for shadows awesome. of the empire they did like you could buy the cd or the audio cassette yeah totally to listen to while you read the book i think that would be nice if they would drop an album on spotify or something so i could like because it i do listen to star wars music sometimes if i'm like sitting down to read i do sometimes like pop on my star wars playlist oh totally but it'd be really nice if i had like specific um themes for like the oh. these like if like write me an avar theme write me a write me a Markeon theme so i can like really get in my head because star wars the music is so important to the experience mm-hmm. with with the stuff that's come before and i would love it I, you don't need to get john williams to write it you know you don't need to get any you don't need to go crazy i just think it would be really nice to have that kind of album uh, absolutely to listen yeah, along yeah. to drop me that golden vinyl record and i'll put that i just want that on my shelf you know like that would just be a cool thing to have but i i i kept putting on the star wars lo-fi hip-hop beats to study slash study the force two or whatever great idea when i was reading these books and it was it was a nice little time but you are completely right that i think that a little bit of um era specific music would go a long way because i mean it would also be a great i don't know a lot about music but I think it would be a great way to also, like, reverse engineer some of, like, the Star Wars, like, the, the harmonic of Star Wars and the way it mm-hmm. sounds. And, tr- and like, work it backwards to sound like it, w- like, use the Force theme and Yoda's theme and stuff like that, but make it older, make it different. Like, what did it come from? Is it grander? Is it bigger? Like, um, is it, is it, does it sound more like a political anthem? Like, what, mm-hmm. you know... I think oh, that man. would just be super cool, and there's a lot of room to, like, really dig into that. They should really hire us in the ideas room for the High Republic, huh? We'd really sling it out left and right. Yeah, and then they would say, can you write novels? And we would say no. And they would say, can you write comics? And we would say, also no. Um, Notice how I said ideas room yeah. and not any room where the talented people have to be. Uh, there there are those guys who are like, where's one guy I'm specifically thinking of, His his job is basically like... I'm in charge of the Star Wars canon, and my job is to know everything about Star Wars. Yeah, that's a historian. I think that would be an insufferable job to have, if I'm being honest. But, like, I I, like... like I I would be into it, man. I would be losing my damn mind, but I would be, like, in the Star Wars universe by the end of it. So I'm in in that. I mean, I think he does write stuff, you know, but I think most of his job is being, like, in the higher public room than being in the, the, the... Clone Wars writing room, then being sure, in whatever, sure. you know, making sure that, and, and then trying to talk to J.J. Abrams, and J.J.'s like, I don't want to hear it, I'm doing whatever I want. And then, <laughs> like, 
sadly like, okay. editing, <laughs> sadly editing his own personal archives to be like, I guess this is what JJ wants. Yeah, force healing. Okay, sure. Um, <laughs> oh, I can't wait until we get into the force healing of the High Republic, and they're like, oh yeah, we've definitely always had this. <laughs> Yeah, right. I I just keep waiting for the sacred texts to show up. <laughs> oh yeah, hell yeah. A- Avar Chris is just like, oh sorry, I'm late. I was just writing the uh, the sacred texts for us, and uh, Yoda's like, I'll have to keep an eye on those. <laughs> can't wait uh, for can't wait for uh, for Chancellor So to lean down to Yoda's level and be like, that's the great thing about being a master, Yoda. We are what they grow beyond, and Yoda's like. Mm. Why? <laughs> um. Oh God. Oh man. I'm I'm loving these. I'm loving all this new stuff, man. I'm excited to keep going down the rabbit hole with you, and I'm sure eventually, maybe we'll have enough between the two of us to connect all of the new High Republic dots. Yeah, I'm. I after you're done with Into the Dark, I definitely wanna. I definitely wanna check yes, that dude, out. Yes, because I I've heard good things, and I it happens like concurrently. I think with Light of the Jedi. Because there's, when you break into the second half of Light of the Jedi, I remember her saying, like, oh, I've got a new apprentice, and it's like, what's the deal with him? Ooh, yeah, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't even remember which character that is, because there's a billion there's so Jedi. so many characters, yeah. But yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll read it, I'll definitely loan it out to you. I gotta go check if I got a poster in there, hiding somewhere. <laughs> shaking, shaking your book. <laughs> like, like you're looking for loose cash. <laughs> Uh, but what do you say we wrap this up and we kick it on over to our reference this week, Garrett? I think that's a great idea because I have no idea how long that main segment's going to end up being. But it's, it's, it's going to be a long uh, one, I think. It'll be a good one. It'll be a good one. Today's pop culture reference is the history of Blizzard Entertainment's uh, various controversies and background. While there is an overarching problem in the game development industry with discrimination and improper development practices, Activision Blizzard has seen an unprecedented and consistent moment in the controversy spotlight. The claims made by the female workforce at Activision Blizzard include constant sexual harassment, unequal pay, and retaliation against whistleblowers and other forms of self-advocacy. Many Blizzard executives, including President J. Allen Brack, have left or have been fired after being caught up in harassment lawsuits. Blizzard has also been involved in several other controversies and legal disputes, including silencing gamers' views on the Hong Kong protests and user identity privacy. Microsoft's acquisition of Activision Blizzard may force the internal structure of the famously problematic developer to change in favor of more politically correct optics and morally acceptable management choices. I definitely think that the restructuring we kind of talked about earlier uh, when we were talking Microsoft buying Activision about the amount of restructuring, uh, layoffs within the company being acquired like that. But I have a feeling that, you know, there is some room for some major improvement. I know we alluded to other gaming companies having sharing similar problems, but, you know, Blizzard just can't stop publicly at least making terrible terrible choices like this and i have a feeling that we're either gonna see them shape up very hard probably uh, move new people into positions of power after the integration with microsoft or we're gonna see a lot more uh boycotting and protests against the products that they're making yeah 
I completely agree with everything you just said, Seamus, and I have uh, actually nothing more to add, so that's good. <laughs> right on. Well, we'll keep everyone updated on the <laughs> next Blizzard controversy in a couple weeks when it happens. And Yeah, let's see how that goes. Uh, until then, we'll see uh, how this merger goes on forward. But let's go ahead and move on to Save the Rec Center. Let's do it. Now it's time to Save the Rec Center, where we bring you our weekly recommendations. This week for mine, uh, it's a second week in a row of me recommending something that I had initially talked bad about the trailer for on air. Square Enix's Guardians of the Galaxy video game is incredibly impressive. I really didn't have any expectations going into it. I think you and I shared our, the same hesitancies, Seamus, especially after mm. the disastrous Square Enix Avengers game. Oh, yeah. But... I heard several people that I really trust talking about it and saying really nice things, and it was dirt cheap on Black Friday for a brand new game, and so I decided to pick it up and just kind of see uh, how it was, and I marathoned through it in like 48 hours. It was really, really <laughs> fun. It is close enough to the vibe, tone, and characters of the James Gunn Guardians of the Galaxy films to still be familiar and exciting to people who enjoy them but on the flip side also doesn't really rely too heavily on those tropes and that iconography in order to engage the audience like it's definitely telling its own story with its own versions of the characters I would equate it to kind of like how the Spider-Man scene in Spider-Man PS4 is pretty much Tobey Maguire Spider-Man but not mm-hmm. exactly Although I would say now that with his redesign for the for the remaster, he looks more like Tom Holland's Spider-Man. Uh, I agree with that too, yeah. But it's just a really fun game with surprisingly complex gameplay because you and I were both concerned about, like, why would you have a Guardians game where you could only play as Peter Quill? But it turns out in combat, you're able to essentially command the different Guardians with a enti- with a really interesting, different, like, each of them is good for different aspects of game. Mm-hmm. Of gameplay, uh, like you have you have your specialists to <clears throat> command to do specifics. That yeah, they're good at. Like Groot and Rocket are both really good at crowd control. Like Groot's really good at like holding things in position so you can get your mm. other characters to attack them. Rocket's really good at just firebombing everything. <laughs> Gamora's good at taking down sense. individual enemies that have maybe higher health bars. It's a surprisingly emotional story. The animation is flawless. It's a really lush, interesting-looking world. Like every single third-person adventure game, it's clearly taken a lot of notes from, like, Uncharted, God Mm. of War. There's a little bit of Mass Effect in there, I'd say. There are some, like, light RPG elements, kind of similar to something like Horizon. But it's a really, really fun, cool story with a lot of Marvel Easter eggs if you're into the comics or even just um, the Marvel Cinematic Universe. And I just am really blown away by how much I enjoyed it considering how skeptical I was at first. Well, I gotta say, I know you've been you've been talking this game up to me privately, and I was so happy to hear... Cause I was a very excited for that Avengers game and crushed when it was bad. I remember. I remember how and... excited and crushed you were. Well, because I was like an idiot. I was like, oh, they knocked Spider-Man out of the park. How could this be much harder? And apparently they just found a way. He's, and and especially... he also says much harder like there aren't a giant pile of bad Spider-Man games that came before. <laughs> all right. Hey, all right. 
Uh, that's fair. That's fair. But then I also heard that a big portion of the Square Enix team from that Avengers game was going to be on Guardians, and I'm I'm just I'm very happy that my expectations were proven wrong, and it's very fun that this is the second week in a row that you have egg on your face about publicly trashing <laughs> something that turned out to be great. So. I'm going to watch West Side Story with you at the same time as I play Guardians of the Galaxy and it'll be great. You'll have you'll have the VR headset on that's hooked up to the PlayStation, <laughs> but the HDMI is on the Blu-ray player that's playing West Side Story. Perfect. That sounds like a nightmare and I can't wait to do it. <laughs> <laughs> but what do you got for me, Seamus? Well, my rec center this week is a little bit of a seasonal treat, and that season has passed, Garrett. <laughs> but I can tell you that the absolute joy I had watching the 1984 classic Gremlins, Ooh. I watched it a little bit before Christmas, and it's so much better than you remember, Garrett. I don't know if you have you ever seen Gremlins. I've never seen it all the way through, actually. It's incredible. It is disgusting and full of green gremlin slime <laughs> and incredible, weird, animatronic puppet gremlins and mogwais. It was. It absolutely tickled me to find out that Howie Mandel plays Gizmo, the little cute furry guy. It was like one of his first roles uh, in 1984. It's like when you find out Vin Diesel played the Iron Giant, you're just like, yeah. Exactly. You're just like, wow, this this little noise-making thing is so much more precious to me now. It's just, I always want to watch it around Halloween, but I can't because it's a Christmas movie, and people rarely want to watch a Christmas movie about horrifying little demon monsters ripping apart a town, but... It's a blast. They rip apart this town, and I'm pretty sure it's the Hill Valley set from... Oh, I know um, that it is certainly the Hill Valley set. It, I know that. It's like they... It was like they were switching off. It looks identical, like the same day. It's 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 great. And well, technically, I think Gremlins would have been before before Back to the Future. Oh, is because, that right? But You know, the courthouse steps... Um, This is such a stupid thing I'm going on right now. <laughs> The courthouse steps from uh, the Hill Valley Courthouse actually date all the way back to uh, To Kill a Mockingbird. They're the courthouse steps uh, in To Kill a Mockingbird. I actually did not know that bit of film trivia. That's really cool. Well, epics, incredible classics like To Kill a Mockingbird, Back to the Future, and of course Gremlins. It's iconic. Everybody says, oh yeah, this is the town from Gremlins, and they point to the microwave that they pop a gremlin inside. It's great. I do know yes. that scene, of course. <laughs> oh, so good. Holiday classic, absolutely hilarious, kind of actually scary. Like, people get messed up in this, but it's it's just a laugh riot, too. Highly recommended. Very, very good. I Next time the holiday rules around, or maybe not, you know, there's, there's some... I am known to <laughs> it's, indulge it's in an... a Christmas film, not at Christmas, you know? This is definitely like a like a music box double feature of this and Batman Returns or something like that. It would be very, it would be very, it would be perfect. But with that, I think it's time to wrap up our show today. If you want to reach the show on social media, we are at PCR underscore podcast on Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok. That TikTok is getting a little dusty, but we still got good content on there. <laughs> If I was want... just watching one of our Fast and the Furious videos the other day. It popped up on my personal feed, and I was like, "Yeah, that we still oh. got it." If we had time to make TikToks anymore, oh, we're gonna we're gonna flood the market once we get back on that. I swear. And then, if you want to reach the show directly, 
Uh, for any comments, questions, or anything else about our show, you can hit us up at our email, popculturereferencepod at gmail.com. I'm really excited. Uh, we do not know what we're doing next week yet. Um, <laughs> but you're really excited about I'm it, really and that's for sure. I'm excited to talk about something that's not Star Wars with you. Not that I haven't loved talking to Star Wars the last couple weeks. Maybe we can figure out like something not super corporate to do <laughs> oh garrett that's a dream that's a dream buddy <laughs> because i mean it's either i th- I feel like we're either doing something not super corporate or eternals so the the two op <laughs> like two polar opposites yeah, yin seriously. And yang. <laughs> uh because we're gonna have a we're gonna have a month full of uncharted and stuff not that that's not gonna be a joy to talk about but it might be nice to you know eat some vegetables before yeah we throw an in. indie in there maybe a classic maybe we we go back to our Disney Vault deep dive. I guess that's still insanely corporate, but at least that'd be a little out of the out of the mainstream. Yeah, we'll just do the Rocketeer again. How about that? Yeah, let's just do that. Or the Apple Dumpling Gang. I've been advocating for it forever. Oh, that would actually be pretty fun. That might ma- join us next week for maybe the Apple Dumpling Gang. Oh, fingers crossed. Fingers crossed. They're gonna find a giant gold nugget in a mine that a bunch of miners couldn't find, and and, and Don Knotts is gonna steal a ladder. It's a laugh riot. Um... It's a laugh riot. (laughs) (laughs) But until next time, adios, amigos.